This episode of the Digital Communicators was recorded in December 2022. I'm also watching Twitter alternatives like Mastodon. Is that going to be able to scale up? How will the moderation work out? And on the technical side, maybe, just maybe, 2023 will see a major quantum computing breakthrough. But if I have to make a prediction, I'm going to say it won't. This is Digital Communicators, the comms-focused show for the tech sector. Hello and welcome to the Babel podcast. My name is Simon Coughlin. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by John Leonard, who is the research director at leading technology news website, Computing. Hi, John. Hi, Simon. Thank you very much for having me on. Let's kick off, John, by you giving us a bit of background about your current role at Computing and your career to date. Sure. Okay. I'm currently research director at Computing, which is a half market research and a half journalistic role with one kind of feeding into the other. I arrived at journalism via a fairly roundabout route, starting as an editor of some large yellow pages type directories called the Computers Users Yearbook. And they transitioned from paper, first of all, to CDs. And I remember when I used to tell people that I was working on something on a CD-ROM, it was like being in the cutting edge of AI. People go, ooh, CD-ROM. Um, and nowadays, the response tends to be, what's a CD-ROM? So that sort of shows you how things have changed. Anyway, once the web came along, that business model was as dead as a doornail. So I moved sideways into commercial white papers, first of all, which was based in part on the same data that we were using for the directories and from there on to data journalism first of all and market research and now I do a a combination of those last two. And can you tell us a little bit about the editorial team at Computing? Does each journalist focus on a specific sector or technology? How are you structured? Sure, Computing is kind of a tight ship. There's only three full-time journalists in the core editorial team plus we have some freelance help and that means that we don't have a beat as such although each of us does have our specialisations often based on our individual interests. As a rule, we like to speak to end users, so IT leaders who use technology, rather than the vendors of that technology. But if a vendor is particularly important or interesting or doing something that's particularly novel, then we'll be very happy to chat to them too. In future, by the way, we're going to be expanding into Europe and to the US, as earlier this year we were bought out by a new parent company called The Channel Company, which is a global brand. So you can expect to see computing expanding outwards in the future. Our readership is mostly IT professionals, so CIOs, CTOs, software architects, although we do quite a lot of news as well, so that obviously has a more general tech audience. Our most popular stories are inevitably kind of what's in the news at the moment. That's just where the way it works. It can be quite frustrating, actually, because you can spend days putting together an in-depth article and it will just be blown out of the water, readers numbers-wise, you know, by a quick reactive piece bashed together from something that's just popped up on. But that's just, as I say, that's just how it is. In general, I'd say security stories are the most popular because techies need to keep up to date with the latest nasties and also anything that's really in the news. So Mr. Musk's escapades have been a rich source of over the last couple of weeks, for example. Some publications don't cover news and we have thought about that, but we decided that we will, particularly if it has a UK slant because we find it's a good way to get people onto the site every day as well as actually keeping us journalists up to date on what's going on. 
and our readers liked having a mix of news and more in-depth analyses in the same place. We also do a lot of events, so we do web seminars, dining clubs, live, online, and now hybrid events post-COVID. Women in Tech Excellence is one example that's gone from zero to huge in about three years. We were among the first tech publishers in the UK to launch purely online events because we were fortunate enough to already be set up to make remote productions. So it wasn't really too much of a shift for us. Just going back to the type of news stories that you have on the site, John, how do you go about choosing which stories to focus on each day? Is it a case of looking at what's breaking in the morning or what does your typical day look like? Yes, we would see what's breaking. We obviously have a big backlog of things of our own from interviews and from events coverage that we get through. But news-wise, we will look at the usual news feeds. We'll find something of interest. We have a freelancer who deals with quite a lot of that. and We'll pick up stuff that the freelance can't do as well. So that's how we would pick the news. In terms of the actual depth our readers' knowledge, going back to your previous question, which I don't think I answered, pretty technical in many cases. I certainly feel out of depth before they are in something like DevOps or Cloud Native. Um, but there's quite a broad spectrum and quite a broad spectrum of interest as well. So, for example, many CIOs these days don't have a technical background. With technology being everywhere now, it's more of a people management role. So... There's a kind of a balance to be struck. Also, on that point, it's a law of diminishing returns, writing very technical stuff. So I tend to try and write for myself, being a sort of a semi-techie, if you like. Would I be happy as a generalist with this explanation of this technical thing, whatever it is? Does it answer my high-level questions? If it does, then I know when I can stop digging there. You mentioned that security stories are particularly popular. Do you have a personal preference for the types of stories which you focus on? Security stories are popular. And I think, as I said, that's out of necessity. Techers need to keep up with what's going on in that field in particular. For my own part, I'm interested in developments that bring or promise to bring substantial change. There's very little that's actually new in tech, as you realise after you've been here for a while, things going around in cycles. But at times, new things do come along that do change the game. Smartphones were generally new, for example. Cloud computing, actually an old idea that became commercially viable about you know, a decade ago. Big data was a way of exponentially increasing the scale of data analysis. Now, Vinetti's DevOps and new ways of creating software that's enabled by some of those past innovations. Blockchains solved a hard computational problem and promised trustless systems, although use cases are a bit thin on the ground so far and so on. But So that's the kind of thing that I like to write about. Although I'm not really too fussy, to be honest, I write about everything, which is uh, lucky given that the size of our team is so small. We, we can't really afford to be fussy. We have to be kind of generalists as well. My colleagues, I'd say, are more like to focus on chatting to IT leaders, CIOs, finding out what they're up to. And in terms of subject matter, that sort of gradually changes as well. And at the moment, we're increasingly covering diversity and inclusion and environmental issues, certainly a lot more than we used to. We're at that time of year where journalists are looking back on previous months and looking forward to 2023. What have been some of your biggest stories of the past year? Some of the big topics have been around that last point, actually, how to ensure a more representative IT, for example, in security in particular, where monocultures are actually damaging. There's also been an upsurge in interest in environmental issues too, Although from the vendor side, I have to say there's been a, quite a lot of greenwash there. Took, undertook a major research project into that topic. 
and found it to be pretty heavy on the marketing and a bit light on the uh, the evidence of any action. In terms of reading numbers, apart from the usual ransomware, there's been quite a lot on the threat of Russian cyber attacks. And in terms of upcoming areas of interest, quantum computing seems to be one that's definitely on the and The question that I like to ask all journalists, how do you prefer to be pitched? Okay, email, email, definitely. If it's a good topic and a good subject line, we'll open it. So it's really all about how you craft the email. If there's time in our schedules, we'll get back. I can't say this strong enough to get, I get about 100 PR emails a day, I would say, on an average day. And if we don't respond... It's not personal, but if you can make your message stand out, I never answer my work phone these days. Um, if someone has my phone number, they have my email as well. And to be honest, the chronicity, if that's the right word, of email is a real bonus. We can check through, we can flag interesting emails and then get back when it's a convenient time. And another crucial question, when you've been pitched, do you appreciate PRs recontacting you if you haven't responded? If they feel that they've written a really interesting email that really should be of interest to me based on what I've written in the past, then yes, that's fine. If it's just circling back to tell you that we have a new CTO in this company that you probably haven't heard of, then no, definitely not. I'm sure it's all automated. It's probably a fairly low effort thing on the PR agency's part. So I understand why you do it, but I would imagine that the returns aren't great. However, there certainly have been occasions where an email has just passed me by and I've actually welcomed that. The key really is it has to be something that references something that I've written about recently in depth you know, so not really a story because we have to cover those because that shows that the person has put some effort in and what i would be looking for is an offer of a genuinely knowledgeable individual for interview a senior exec at an end user company or a high level exec a, a vendor to speak to rather than the kind of sales guy who's trying to push a product after that it's simply about making things easier for the journalist so some prs i know offer a range of possible candidates, for example, rather than just the one, some maybe with opposing views, which then saves me having to cast about looking for those. As to subject matter, there's certain core things that we cover at computing. Broadly, it's speaking to CIOs and other senior IT leaders, or speaking to executives in well-known tech companies and finding out interesting innovations. We don't generally cover product, boardroom changes, and the rest, unless they're part of a larger pattern, of course, such as things like the layoffs at bigger IT companies at the moment, we definitely cover that. But that will be our kind of a core subject area, if you like. You mentioned about computing's focus on events, and I know that you also run a number of award schemes. Can you give us a bit more detail about those initiatives and the opportunities for tech companies? Okay, so our big event, the UK IT Industry Awards, which we run together with BCS. And this is a real major recognised award. And the rigorous judging process involved means that the winners really are something special. All of us journalists get involved in that every year, and it's really interesting to be involved. Likewise, with Women in Tech, the finalists are judged by their peers. And it's amazing and actually humbling to see what these people have achieved. And it's always incredibly difficult to pick a winner. Like most of our awards, Women in Tech awards are tied to a related event, the Women in Tech Excellence Festival. That last one is live, but we also do online awards and online events, for example, cloud and infrastructure, DevOps, cybersecurity. On all those things, we offer sponsor slots, stands in the usual way. You know, that's kind of how they make their money. 
sponsor sessions are generally covered by computing and publishes news stories. Sometimes we publish videos as well. That's what we do there. So for vendors, there's quite a wide range of options and we often find vendors coming back time after time. So I think we're doing something right, but we're also open to new ideas and the tech is changing all the time. So any suggestions are always welcome. If it's an up and coming field that's really starting to generate interest, then we would be interested in covering it as an event and possibly as an award area too. We're coming up to the three-year anniversary of COVID-19, which clearly had a massive impact on media relations and changed the way in which journalists and PRs build those relationships. Have you found this year you've had the opportunity to go out and about and meet with PR agencies and tech vendors? Do you see yourself doing more of that in 2023? Certainly a little more. It's being on and off as different countries have different rules. To be honest, online events are often adequate for catching up on general stuff nowadays. And that's been a big change. And I'd say it's been a change for the better as well. There's really no need to fly off to places sometimes and add to the atmospheric CO2 for something that's really pretty much in the public domain already. But that said, of course, it's always really good to meet people in, uh, in three dimensions and unexpected introductions are far less likely on Zoom than they are when you're kind of wandering around some cavernous venue lost. You bump into people fortuitously. I think my favourite events are the kind of small ones that no one seems to have discovered yet around a topic that's just bubbling up into the mainstream. Often those depend on chance, so meetups can be good, although I haven't been to one of those. It's a bit like seeing a great band in a small pub than the O2, and I'd hope to be doing more of that in the next year. And finally, John, what are your tech predictions for 2023? No better way than tech predictions to look like a complete idiot when they don't come true. Unfortunately, my, my crystal ball has cataracts and I'm loath to actually make any any solid predictions. But seriously, no one seems to be able to predict anything these days. Who could have predicted Liz Truss or what Elon Musk is doing, for example? But having said that, there's lots of sort of general areas, general interesting threads going on with regulations in the UK and Europe. Just today, we covered a story about German regulators saying that Microsoft 365 probably fails to meet GDPR requirements. Last week, there was a similar one in France about Google Classroom and Microsoft too. So things are hotting up there, which could have a huge implication for businesses because who doesn't use Microsoft 365 or Google. Then there's UK's replacement for GDPR, which is ready to go before Parliament at some stage. How's that going to go down in Europe? What's it going to end up saying? There's the online safety bill, which looks set for a rocky ride. So that is going to be interesting to follow too. I'm also watching Twitter alternatives like Mastodon, which has an entirely different cooperative non-advertising mod for existing social media. Is that going to be able to scale up? How will the moderation work out? And on the technical side, maybe, just maybe, 2023 will see a major quantum computing breakthrough. But if I have to make a prediction, I'm going to say it won't. Great, John. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much, Simon. For more information about Babel and other episodes of this podcast, head to www.babelpr.com forward slash podcasts.